Today on the No Sitting on the Sideline Dad Podcast, episode number five one. Yes, five one. You know what? I have a very special treat for you today. I'm going to talk talk about everyone's famous neighbor. Yes, Mister Rogers. You know, thinking back is, you know, the trolley, Lady Elaine, brings back a lot of special childhood memories. Well, today my guest Benjamin Wagner, the creator of the film Mister Rogers and Me, along with his brother Chris Wagner. We talk about the movie, and also we talk about how Benjamin was affected as a person, a dad, and a husband, actually meeting Mr. Rogers. Next on the podcast, let's do this. Welcome to the No Sitting on the Sideline Dad podcast, a podcast about a journey of discovery and conversations about not sitting on the sideline of life. Let's get involved. Here's host Joe Foley. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, my name is Joe Foley, and I really want to say thank you for being here. I know a dad and parent and just being a busy person. We're busy people. And if this is your first time, welcome. I know this stuff's not easy, and I don't claim to be easy or anything like that because, you know, sometimes it's a trial by error or fly the seat of a pants or just trying to figure this out one day at a time. Hey, I know what I want to do is I want to build a sense of community. Hey, I want to talk to you, or you talk to me, or talk to each other, actually. Leave a, leave a review on um, Apple Podcasts, I can't say the other word, or on your favorite um, podcast app. Also... You know, speed pipe, if you're looking on a, on a computer, right right hand corner. Yeah, that one right there. Leave a message. I'd like to hear from you. Or join our Facebook group, no sitting on the sideline.com slash Facebook group. And you can meet up with new people, talk to people, and start a conversation. Maybe you had experience of what we're gonna talk about today. Well, Mr. Ron's neighborhood, because really think of it, it's an iconic TV show. And me as an adult. I remember it, you know, being my age and, and growing up and those are the things that, and, and it's interesting because they talk about divorce, they talk about, he talked about everything and it's kind of cool to watch. You know, it's a journey. I'm on a journey just like you trying to figure this stuff out one day at a time. Next up, my conversation with Benjamin Wagner, writer, producer, and director of film, Mr. Rogers and Me. Ben and his brother both worked on creating this film. They, Benjamin and Chris started this project about 10 years ago. At that time, um, they're on a journey. It's just, it was kind of cool. You know, Benjamin worked in media for 25 years, um, worked at MTV, also an inspiring musician. We talk about how to, what is his first encounter of meeting Mr. Rogers? And Benjamin mentioned how authentic present he, present he was. You know, it, it's almost awestruck, and I guess, to be, with somebody in the room like that and just their total attention's on you. And it's it's kind of cool. The the film won many awards, like the Heart Film Festival, Chris Crystal Heart winner, and the top and also the one the award at the Flagstaff and Film Festival for Best Documentary. We top top touched on topics like divorce, investing in your kids. The, the audio may be a little weird in the beginning, due to a Skype issue, and also around the twenty one mark. You may not notice it, but the two separate days in recording because, well, my, my computer side and went boop. So, Brent Benjamin brings a lot to this, uh, lots of this interview and a lot of great stories about his experience about Mr. Rogers being his neighbor. 
So then how much of a big influence in his life he was. So let's jump right in. Welcome to the podcast, Benjamin. Thank you. Thank you to be here. Um, it, it, <laughs> it feels like I know you because I watched the movie a couple of times now and, 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 and it's kind of fun. But um, what is one thing that you take away from being from this film, like you meeting Mr. Rogers, knowing him and being his neighbor? What is one thing you take away? I mean, I, I, this is Jillian, but I, I guess the thing that's top of mind is I now have a shorthand, you know, a very simple and elegant um, couple of words, phrase to um, anchor uh, how I spend my time every day. Or I try to, right? Like, I'm listening to the show. Like, we're human. You talk about that, and that's great. Um, I'm a dad. I have two daughters. You know, I blow it occasionally. I'm a husband. I, I'm a, you know, incomplete occasionally. But I can aspire to you know, depth and simplicity. I can aspire to being, you know, radically present. Um, I can aspire to appreciating um, silence, right? So I didn't have the same language that I had, had uh, that I have now prior to making this film, though I had the same aspirations and the same interests um, and what the process of making the film and, and meeting Mr. Rogers in the first place gave me was kind of a toolkit to navigate an increasingly, um, you know, shallow and complex world. Um, I, I didn't, I jumped right into the, um, about Mr. Rogers, but a little bit about yourself. What, what do you do? What is your, your daytime job? Yeah. Um, I have been in media for 25 years. Um, I was, uh, as a kid, I wanted to be a newspaper writer and then the editor of the high school paper and wrote for the local paper. And went to Syracuse University where, as I think I mentioned, I have a degree in creative writing, degree in newspaper, and I've basically been in, in the media business, um, uh, Lifetime Television, Rolling Stone Magazine, uh, MTV. I was MTV News for 18 years, and I'm in social media now for the sake of simplicity. Um, and have been for about four years. Oh, it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's interesting um, working for MTV in um, Rolling the Rolling Stone. That might have been interesting. Oh, absolutely. It has been. Um, you know, I moved to New York City with my brother in 1995, and um, I don't think we had. I certainly didn't have any intention of staying very long. It was overwhelming to me um, that first day we walked around the block in our new apartment, um, and here I am pushing 24 or five years later. It's all been. Um, unexpected but that's life right um preparedness and luck and timing and um you know work ethic and grit and all that but um mtv news was 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 a heck of a run um a lot of video music awards you know it's funny i i actually got to write about mr rogers on mtv news which was was fun to have a story go viral on social media on mtv news by mr rogers which seemed kind of uh oxymoronic or you know sort of entities in opposition, which is, I think, what made... It was one of the things that made me making the movie at that time interesting and what made it interesting when I called people and said, hey, would you talk to me? Because, ostensibly, MTV feels in Congress with PBS. Um, I have I had a button a long time ago, like, you know, the kind of button you put on a jean jacket that said um, an MTV mind... Sorry, a PBS mind in an MTV world. And so that binary, that opposition was already set up for me even before I met Mr. Rogers and before I even thought about any of this stuff. Um, yeah, it's been, um, I mean, it's surprising to be where I'm in my life, to be in my um, turn in the corner on, in my mid-40s. 
it's surprising to be happily married and the father of two. Um, it's surprising to know I had a career in New York City for 45 years, but you know, that's like life is what happens when you're busy making other plans, right? Exactly. Exactly. And it's always interesting because you never know how things are going to turn out. I mean, I, I mean, I have a son and I'm like four years old and, and I, we watch, um, you know, your young daughters and we watched, um, Daniel Tiger. And I know that's kind of sure. like Mr. Rogers, like, um, I don't want to say spinoff, but it always, I'm like all the stuff that I watched as a kid. I'm like, let's watch Mr. Rogers. That's not Daniel Tiger, but that's where Daniel Tiger came from. <laughs> and it's, it's fun to watch. And, um, and, 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 and I like watching Mr. Rogers himself in, in the TV show. What is um, one memory of you? Did you watch it as a kid? Did you have any memories of, as a kid watching it? Oh, yeah. In our house, um, I mean, it's interesting. So I wasn't sort of, um, I've met in the course of the last uh, 15 or so years, a lot of people who are rabidly enthusiastic, um, crazy fans from their childhood. Um, and I... I wasn't that, um, I, I, though I was um, not allowed to watch much else. Um, we watched, mo- I mean, we didn't watch much television at all. Uh, and when we did, it tended towards uh, PBS, Electric Company, Mr. Rogers, and later 3-2 Contact. So I, I had a fairly limited exposure, but, um, you know, I remember all that stuff. I mean, I remember the episode where he talks about the fish dying, and I remember feeding the fish in the crown factory, I mean, like everybody else, all you know, all that stuff. Um, but, but my, you know, I gotta be honest, my sort of galvanizing moment was meeting him in real life. I mean, the moment where I went and, and I, and I don't even, you know, I think it was, I mean, I, you know, I've thought about this a lot, right. I've been asked this a lot. I mean, this is a human being. He just was, um, present and authentic and engaged in a way that I just hadn't experienced before. Um, and I've spoken, I mean, I've, I've met a lot of people who, on camera, you know, from, I don't know, Bono to Lady Gaga to Snooki to, you know, Barack Obama to Hillary Clinton. To, so I, I, I had some exposure, um, certainly not sitting in their living room as I, as I, as I got to do with Mr. Rogers, but he was, um, he was just striking in his presence. And I think it's, you know, when we, this film premiered, uh, in 2010 and then went wide in 2012. I mean, think of all that's changed in media since then, specifically the rise of, uh, the iPhone, which really has been in the last eight years, eight to 10 years, the sort of ubiquity of the handheld sort of mobile device uh, and, the, and the rise of social media um, and screens everywhere. I live in New York City. There are screens on every street corner now. Um, big, you know, big screens um, that uh, are like Google co-brand. So, yeah, um, it, it really is about his radical sort of authenticity and sense of self and presence that um, I don't think I could have ever put language to as a kid. That is what was so striking as a young adult. I guess thirties an adult. I'm an adult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's um. Yeah, I think thirties an adult. <laughs> I'm still working. I'm still working on it, Jeff. Yeah, I'm. I'm the right. I'm the same boat as you. I'm in my early forties. Yeah. So um, yeah, I hate to say early, but you know, I go four plus three is seven. Oh man, I got seven years from four fifty. Yeah. <laughs> But um, it's it's interesting to wa- listen to him. And I was just recently actually today before we had the interview today, and I was watching a YouTube video of him an interview with David Letterman back in the eighties, and he brought out the mm-hmm. sweater, the and his presence. You just like you just want to you know just talking to David Letterman, and, and it was it's like oh it's like it's just he's look look at him he looks kind he just looks kind yeah and he was he was and 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 I think he. 
I mean, you know, Dave Letterman, I mean, I can remember watching Dave Letterman in college, you know, and I, I mean, he was really, truly edgy and oddball and, um, and still is in his own way, but um, he even seems to disarm David in some way, right? He even seems to manage to sort of remove some degree of Letterman's, like, I don't know what it is, like cool, hip, uh, smart Alex patch. Um, and uh, it's pretty powerful stuff, right? And I don't know, there's just a few figures that I can think of off the top of my head who um, seem to have that capability. Um, you know, like Dalai Lama, Desmond Tutu. I mean, I'm sure there are others that we don't know, but it's a real deal, man. You know, um, and, and I, I'll tell you a funny story that's not in the movie. And, and it, it, it's a little bit of a tangent, but it's a good illustration. Um, as I mentioned, I, I was a, I was a, I am a singer songwriter. So, um, in fact, when one of the things my mom thought that, um, Mr. Rogers and I would have in common and we enjoyed talking about him. So the day I met him, I went over to the house with my guitar over the day after I met him playing a couple of songs and I was about to put out a record called Crash Sight that was supposed to come that the, the, the subtext of this whole uh, record was my parents divorced and this sort of um, let's say metaphor of plane crashes and sort of um, catastrophe as a, as a as a narrative sort of uh, connection um, and I was walking to the post office on the morning of September 11, 2001 a week after I met Mr. Rogers and I'd heard on the radio that something happened downtown in New York. I live in New York City. And I'd look up and I see the towers. You could see them from uh, the end of my street. So I think to myself, oh, this is not a good time to drop 350 postcards into the mailbox that have a plane crashing on the front. I didn't have any idea what was happening yet. Fast forward two, three weeks later, I have said to myself, well, I can't put this record out as is. Um, so I literally said to myself, what was Mr. Rogers doing? And I said, well, Mr. Rogers would find a way to make this a positive. So I re-recorded the title track as a benefit and um, did a benefit show instead of a record release show to raise money for the United Way. So I get done with this benefit show to place for the Mercury Lounge here in New York City. True story, dude. <laughs> so bananas. I walk out into the bar to get a beer after playing and the bartender says, oh, you got a message. Some guy named Fred Rogers called to say good luck. I mean, hey, who does that? You know? Like, who does that? And I was like, I'm sorry, what? You know, um, and I, I mean, he found the number of the Mercury Lounge in New York City. Like, I mean, so, Joe, I mean, if that ain't the real deal, if something special isn't happening there, and, you know, you, I could have made, we could do a series every week on the 10, on 10 people a week that had a similar experience. I mean, I, I, I get emails every day or I see posts from people every day that are similar. And so, you know, you asked me earlier what I take away. I take away the reminder that every, this is what we leave the movie with, right? That every meeting with another person um, leaves a lasting impression. And so what happens if we remember that at the start? And instead of being defensive or cagey or distant or disengaged, we do our best to be present and empathetic and thoughtful and a great listener. You know, like what happens then? You know, like think about the transformational capacity we have with each other. And, and that's what he did for me. And that's pretty powerful stuff. How does it affect you as a dad, though? I mean, how does it affect you as being a father yourself? Now you're a dad. Of- <laughs> yeah, I'm just laughing because it, it, what it does is it holds up a, a bar that is so high that I can't possibly, you know. Um, I mean, it's, I uh, when we premiered at the Nantucket Film Festival in 2010, which was a week after my daughter Maggie was born. Um, 
and, and not not a joke, Joe. The day before Father's Day, so we screened. Um, well, it doesn't matter, but like we screened two nights on a Saturday and on a Sunday. And Sunday was Father's Day, and I was and I and I and I John Rogers invited us to come over to the Cricket House, um, which is a great place in Nantucket. John is his son, one of his two sons. And so John was telling us about what it, you know, he was like as a dad and trying to give us a little context and of course, him being a little reasonable. But generally speaking, he was like, you know, what you saw is what you got. Like, he's the same, you know, we had the same guy. But I mean, you know, honestly, um, I just do my best just like any other dad. They know, um, that he is, they know who he is. They know I've made a movie about him. I have, they haven't seen it because I generally speaking don't think a couple of little kids want to watch. Um, people talking. <laughs> um, at the same time, uh, I also try and keep an eye um, on what television they watch. Um, it's spring break for them this week, um, and I have let them watch a little bit of Daniel and a little bit of Mr. Rogers in the morning. Some mornings, Joe, I just say, because they'd rather watch Daniel. It's a little quicker. It's animated. And I'd be like, and I'd be like nope. It's um, it's Mr. Rogers or nothing, <laughs> and, and they'll take they'll take Mr. Rogers over nothing, um, and they're enthralled. And I love it when Elsie, my youngest, will talk back to the screen, which was part of his intent, right? <laughs> to ask a question to the screen, leave a few minutes to for a young person to respond. Um, it's just so so great. But you know, I don't know. I guess I I I, I figured you'd ask this question because I thought about it. I mean, above all, I will find myself on Sunday mornings reading the Sunday paper that they're playing on the floor at their little table. And I'll stop and think, dude, why don't you just get color with them? So, and, and that I feel like is um, a direct result of trying to remember um, what a kid would want from me. And some of the things that I've learned by watching him uh, in his show, you know, sitting on the floor at their level, um, you know, putting his eyes at their eye level. I mean, my kids are a little older now and an eight year old in New York city is pretty sophisticated. Um, but like nothing beats sitting and coloring, you know, last, the other morning we just sat with magic markers at their table and drew stuff like rainbows. And, you know, I mean, that, I guess above all, I just, I tell you, I was walking home from sledding with them today in Central Park and, um, my youngest was walking really slow because she was tired, right? Sledding's tiring for a kid. And there's a part of me that wanted to rush in, meet my wife, make dinner. And I thought, just slow down, Ben. Just slow down. Like, go at their pace. And I feel like these are the things, these are two examples of things I'm not sure I would be as aware of or capable of were it not for him and my exposure to him. Well, it's funny. Is, um, I was Every time, I remember my, my, my memory of it. I always, when in the beginning, the, the credits were on the beginning, and he's going up the street to his house. I always wanted to see if see Fred Rogers be walking up the street. I know it's not real, but when you're a little kid, you have that the imagination runs wild, or when you see the um the trolley, the trolley going through the little tunnel, going hey, you know, you, you think where the where's the trolley going? Where's the other end of that? And he was just it was a great show. It's a great it was a great show, and you always wonder if he's running around a Carnegie sweaters. I don't remember the number. My friend um over at the uh, gosh, what does he call it? the neighborhood archive? Um, did some painstaking to the data exercise where he logged the color of every sweater over every episode, which he has now illustrated and hangs in his living room. But, uh, you know, I mean, it was well-considered television, right? Um, at, at a time when, you know, I mean, was, I mean, we're still at the time where generally speaking, the lowest common denominator. And, you know, I, I met him at the, 
at the height of Jersey Shore prior. I don't know. It was right around that time, right? Maybe it was prior. Maybe we put the movie out around that time. But I just remember always being so ambivalent about the kind of junk food culture that we lived in. And that, you know, he worked with um, educators and, then you know, he was a ordained minister. I mean, this, this, he, he surrounded himself with experts. Um, you know, he, this is not, this was not slapdash, right? It was all, all well considered in terms of what is the, uh, what is the educational and psychological capability of our, our audience right now? Like, and how do we meet them where they are and give them, um, the best equipment they can have to, you know, be the best humans they can be. And I don't think those are, I don't think any of those considerations go into, you know, most media, you know, um, and, that's, I mean, that's what I've always wrestled with and what I found so admirable is, you know, I ask myself all the time, like, why am I here? What am, like, what, what good is this stuff that I'm making? And, um, I love, love, love music. So that counts for something. When I was a kid, Rolling Stone magazine was, um, my, one of my mechanisms for coping with a confusing world. Um, and imagining myself as, um, a performer and then eventually learning to perform myself and more importantly, songwrite as a mechanism to understand what I was going through. I mean, that, that, that was, that was useful stuff, but you know, um, helping millions of young people become deeper, um, more, uh, substantive and thoughtful humans is that's some, that's some legit work right there, right? That is, that is some good life's work. Well, you mentioned in the beginning that um, you're from a divorced family, and and you, you were trying to tell uh, Mr. Rogers and myself from a, coming from a divorced family and a divorcee, I'm um, a divorcee myself. How how did how did did you have a conversation with him? Did you mention it to him? And how did how, yeah? How did, what was this conversation? I mean, it, really, Jay, it's at the heart of the whole thing. Meaning, it's funny. My old um, I've never told anyone this. Even I don't think my brother, my old manager at MTV, this guy is a great great television producer and a really caring soul um and uh he was one of the first people to watch the film and give me notes and he said to me um i really want to hear more about the divorce and how you felt and um you know how you sort of transformed it throughout the making of this film and chris and i talked about um the idea of how hard do we hit various points my brother chris and i who i mean chris and i made the film almost single-handedly there were the credits have lots of people in it but generally speaking it was me and chris and, um, you know, we decided ultimately to leave a lot of things as subtext and let viewers take away sort of what they needed from the film. But the divorce is at the heart of it because when I met him, um, again, I was about to put out a record that was basically all about the divorce, which, like, let me be honest with you, man, I got like 18 records on Spotify and most of them touch that subject in some manner or another, right? Like, you don't experience that and not have, I mean, it's, it's one of two or three profound traumas in my life. I mean, it, you know, it undermines a whole set of, you know, childhood um, norms and expectations, right? So I don't know whether my mother had set him up, i.e., I doubt it. I mean, I, my mother had met him prior, obviously, on Nantucket and called me and said, you should come to Nantucket, you'll never believe who my neighbor is. And I, and I, and I did. So I don't know how much he knew. I know my mom had had dinner with him, so I'm sure he had um, asked her these kinds of questions. But basically within, I don't know, Joe, 15 minutes of meeting him, he said, so tell me about um, your parents' divorce or tell me about your father and tell me about your parents' divorce. And it was so direct and disarming 
and thoughtful and uh, I felt so, as I say in the film, safe and comfortable with him that it was almost difficult not to just start crying and want to like crawl into his lap and be like, well, let me tell you, you know, um, and that was, that was powerful. And he was a terrific listener. Um, and I kind of feel like that was the transformational moment for me where I was like, gosh, this guy is something else. Well, I guess this is a good transition here. I guess what are some of the people that you interview? What was the one, one of your, one of your favorites? You know, uh, they were all amazing in their own way. Um, and in most cases came about kind of serendipitously, um, uh, and in, in, in surprising manner. I mean, even the fact that we got Tim Resser to speak to us was kind of amazing. And it was like a process of discovery, like a journey where I'd be like, Oh, Chris, um, I remember reading an article in the newspaper in Nantucket written by Tim Russert's wife, Maureen. We should try and get Tim Russert to talk about what it was like to be his neighbor on Nantucket um, and managed to, to do so and have since um, become friends with uh, Luke and Maureen. Um, and Maureen, I think I know, who wrote this great piece, was a writer for Vanity Fair, was an early, one of the first females to write for Newsweek, wrote for Rolling Stone. So, like, it opened this universe up of interesting people who are, um, you know, like Susan Stanberg. I mean, this woman is like an institution of public radio, right? Linda Ellerby, um, you know, just a character and has just been there and done that. So, like, there were all these moments where... I mean, the crew is my brother and me. I mean, Chris and I would basically be like, the way we pitched people would be, just give us 15 minutes, we'll be in and out, you know. Of course, it never happened that way, but um, you'd intend for it to. Um, but the, I think Amy Hollingsworth was critical um, to the movie and also still a dear friend. Um, we talked pretty regularly. And, and, and Tim Madigan, I mean, this was crazy synchronicity where I think somebody forwarded me an article about this guy who wrote a book. And then I look into the book and it ends up that the guy's going to be speaking literally Joe (laughs) a block and a half from my brother's apartment, like three blocks from my apartment. My brother lived in the, you know, 83rd and West end. I lived in 80th in Columbus on the West side of Manhattan. He's like, I mean, Tim was literally reading in between our apartments. So um, that was special just for that kind of like randomness. And then we just become, I mean, he's, you know, he's what you, he's what you see on camera. I mean, in fact, <laughs> if you remember in the film, he says something as we hug goodbye, he goes up, oh, here comes the hug. Because we had joked, I was like, I said, this isn't going to be one of those things where you interview somebody on camera and you develop a rapport that is like this on-camera rapport, which happens. You know, you um, you forge a quick relationship. It, this is something a, a little, a little with greater longevity, and it has been. Um, I talked to Tim, you know, a couple of days ago, um, and his story is both massively personal. Right. I mean, he's really honest with us. And I'm not sure how many times he had told his story out loud at that point, because, it, you know, he was just beginning basically, quote unquote, the press tour on the book, um, because you can really feel it. Right. Um, 
but that's that's it, that's him. But at the same time, it's like as, as I said earlier, it's, it's it's super universal because so many people, you know, um, email me or send me messages on our Facebook page or whatever, telling brief stories about their experience with Mr. Rogers and how it changed them, right? And um, and so and so that, that they're all pretty special um, um, in their own way. Uh, Tim and Amy are, are the people who I continue to keep up with on the reg and Maureen and her son, Luke, um, to some degree as well, which is pretty cool. Um, at the same time, you know, when we premiered the film, like everywhere we went, but they would come out and help. I mean, this was grassroots Joe. Like, yeah, um, yeah, it, it's on PBS and we licensed it and everything afterwards. We had no idea. We just made the movie in our free time with our own money because we wanted to. And we felt really strongly about, you know, doing something that mattered. So when I say we did premieres, it was like, we would literally call like the local library and then tuck it and be like, we'll bring the movie. If you'll give us a screen and you can keep the money. We did that all over, all over America for two years. Um, so anyway, um, it is the save, um, my children and my wife, the most important thing I've done with my life and my time. And, um, I'm pretty lucky for that. Well, it's it's. I mean, we you talk about Tim Ross's thing, and um, and and, and but don't mind me telling with a quick story, and it's in the movie. I don't want to ruin it for people, but the one thing about Mr. Rogers, he was at a party, and and he could, he he has enough clout to he could mingle with the big wigs or the the important people there, but he chose to be with the kid, uh, Russ's son. I'm like, that yeah. that blow that blew me away. Yeah, 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 yeah. It says it all, right? And moreover, like to do something creative with him, right? Like if you remember, he they made a clock out of a paper plate. Mm-hmm. God bless Maureen's. Like I scoured the attic, I couldn't find the paper plate clock, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and I, and I, I mean, I think I just think that 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 was his story, you know. That was his mission. He understood the value of investing, you know, in investing time. It's funny when we thought about our kids in school, my wife and I, our whole thing was like, let's just do the best we can for them as young as we can, because we can just inculcate a real love of learning and a real passion for going to school. Even if we can't go to the best school or if we you know, end up in some other situation, if you could just give a kid a passion for learning and curiosity, right. Um, that's like the best, right? And I think Fred understood, like, if you plant seeds and you listen and you validate, right? Because a lot of times I think adults spend their time, not on purpose, just by accident, telling kids what they should be feeling or what they should be doing as opposed to saying, like, I mean, you remember being five? Like, the world was huge and everything was impactful, right? Everything was massive, you know? Um and your scope and your perspective is minuscule, <laughs> as was referenced by my daughter 10 minutes ago when I put her to bed. And she's like, you're the best daddy in the whole world. And I'm like, well, that may be true, <laughs> but there are lots of daddies and probably a lot of them are pretty awesome. <laughs> it's fun when they say the nice thing. You're like, oh, man, they just it melts your heart. And you're like, what do you want? What do you want me? What do you, what do you want? <laughs> yeah, I mean, ultimately, she just wanted to not go to bed. You know, <laughs> I love them. I love the kids. I guess wrapping up, wrapping up, final thoughts about you know, Mr. Rogers himself and being a dad. I mean, I don't know if you have your thoughts about that. Well, I mean, you know, we kind of end the movie with. I mean, as you know, I mean, the movie ends with me 
the movie ends with me uh, just about to become a dad, right? And I put that in on purpose because he couldn't possibly have known that all along. But the idea that, um, you know, I guess an extenuation of what, what I was saying a second ago, which is investing in a kid and really helping a young person understand that their feelings have value and that their um, behavior towards other have, has value and that being, a, you know, an iota of kindness can unleash, um, you know, a hurricane of love. Like if you just consider those facts, right. If you can consider those little tidbits or morsels or seeds, I, I, I to me, that's the greatest gift of all that I had as I, in some ways those life before meeting Fred Rogers and life after meeting Fred Rogers. And, you know, in terms of my own fatherhood, he equipped me minimally to be better at it. Um, you know, as, as we said earlier, like I struggle all the time, you know, um, but I just try and do what he did, which is just try and listen well and say, you know, I hear you, I get it. And I mean, that's kind of all we need from each other, right? Somebody to listen and say, I understand. You know, I understand, or I feel the same way too, or I felt the same way too. And you're not crazy for that. And, um, so in a lot of ways, um, in every way, uh, it's an experience and a gift that, uh, keeps on giving and that I expect my kids will not only benefit for, from in their lives, but will also make them better to those around them. And that is I what, um, empowered or enabled him to be who he was in that way. Actually, I don't think it was him calculating, Oh, if I'm just really good to people, then they'll be really good to each other. I don't think he could help it. Um, but if you just imagine the ramifications uh, of one person being good to one other person and that other person being good to someone else and the sort of um, exponential value of that, which is kind of where we end the movie, right? Like what happens if, you know, we all just, just try and be a little kinder to the toll taker or the guy at the deli or, um, you know, you know, the guy I bumped into on the subway instead of shooting a dirty look being like, excuse me, man, or like letting someone on or off the elevator first, you know, like, I don't know. I feel like that's a fads up, you know, and now more than ever, a couple of random acts of kindness could go a long way. It's almost like a chain reaction in a way. It's like a chain reaction. Totally. Yeah, totally. Right. Like fusion. Yeah. And um, again, I just think um, the world is a increasingly fast paced, complex, distracted, you know, attention um, starved place. So maybe the best thing we can do on the personal level, right? If you can't change the world, not everyone's going to be, um, I don't know, uh, president or, uh, you know, not everyone does in the tutu, but we can just be a tiny bit kinder to each other, um, friend and stranger alike, neighbor and non-neighbor alike. Um, I call everybody neighbors when we're walking around in the city. <laughs> um, so that my kids just remember like that we're kind of all in this together. At the end of the day, the earth is pretty darn small in the scheme of things. So probably we ought to be good to each other. Well, wrapping. I guess on where they can find you, where they can connect to you for with a movie and stuff like that. The film airs on PBS stations um, around the country. Um, it's available on 
iTunes and Amazon and sort of all the major download to own and rental services. And it's available um, at PBS's um, download to own site. You can buy the DVD there. In the worst case scenario, come to Mr. Rogers and me.com. M I S T E R. A lot of people write MR Rogers. It's M I S T E R. Right, Mister spelled out. Um, and I'm on Facebook. Same thing, Mister Rogers and me. Come say hi. I'm pretty good at I'm pretty good at talking. Maybe you've gathered. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, all the links will be in the show notes. And I want to say thank you, Benjamin, for being on the podcast tonight. And I really do appreciate it. Hey, man, what a pleasure. Thank you. Well, that's all I have for this episode. Thank you for joining me on the No City on the Sideline Tab Podcast. And also, I want to thank Benjamin Wagner for being a guest on the podcast. You can find more about Benjamin over it and in, about the movie and everything else over at MrRogersAndMe.com. You can find all the show notes of this episode over at NoSittingOnTheSideline.com slash 51. Please comment on the podcast. I'd like to hear your memories of what we talked about today, like Mr. Rogers. What was your favorite part as a kid growing up? And do you remember? And did it have an effect in your life? All my contact information is NoSittingOnTheSideline.com dot com slash contact if you have a second leave a comment on the show notes continue and continue the conversation leave a message speed pipe in the corner and red corner like we talked in the beginning also head over to your podcast i have a choice to leave a rating review for the show mr ron has left a lasting impression on many young children and adults lives many famous people you know it's funny he can go into a room and disarm people basically with his kindness it's just it's an awe experience people that you mean you would think, wow, these are celebrities. And they make, when they see Mr. Rogers, they make him star. He makes them starstruck. He was an awesome man. He'd be sadly missed. This great quote, I think from Mr. Rogers, the greatest gift you ever give is your honest self. Be who you are. Don't, you know, be your honest self. Well, until next time, take care. God bless. Give your kids a hug. See ya. for listening to the podcast. Please subscribe to the newsletter to receive updates of the show and helpful and useful tips. This has been a production of Foley 42 Media.